Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart, live from the WNYC studios in Soho. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Coming up on today's show, Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells will be here, the stars of the hilarious new Broadway show, Gutenberg, the musical. And we'll speak with food writer Amiko Davies about her new cookbook, Gohan, Everyday Japanese Cooking. And tonight, everybody, it's our Get Lit with All of It book club Live at the New York Public Library, Stavros Niarchos Foundation branch, we have been reading the novel Yellow Face, and now it is time to discuss. We'll be in conversation with author R.F. Kuang. We'll be joined by special musical guest MXM Tune. Now, this event is sold out, so if you have a ticket, just a reminder, seats are on a first-come, first-served basis, and the doors open at 5.30. Now, if you weren't able to get a ticket, you can stream the event online. Head to wnyc.org slash get lit to find out how. And one more bit of housekeeping. There are still some slots available for the All of It Blood Drive. It is happening in the green space on Monday, October 30th from noon to 4.30 p.m. We'll talk about it more on the show tomorrow, but you can sign up for a slot at wnyc.org slash give blood. That's wnyc.org slash give blood. Now, let's get today's show started with the essential films of Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon opened nationwide in theaters on Friday, and already it's being hailed as a, quote, masterpiece by the New York Times and made its way into plenty of top 10 rankings of the director's filmography. In addition to the praise, there's also been a lot of thoughtful writing about how Scorsese depicts and positions indigenous people within the story and about what stories get told and who gets to tell them. The film is based on a book by historian David Grant and is about a series of murders of Osage Nation people in Oklahoma in the 1920s, motivated by the Osage oil wealth and the FBI's investigation into the killings. And as we heard on our show yesterday, Martin Scorsese will be in conversation with Stephen Colbert Friday night as part of the Montclair Film Festival. And if you haven't seen his TikTok video with his daughter, Francesca, after this conversation, go check it out. You're in for a treat. Martin Scorsese has been dominant, a dominant figure in filmmaking for decades and ahead of his, get us this, his 81st birthday is next month. We want to explore his career and filmography. Joining me now are the co-authors of a Vulture New York Mag article titled Every Martin Scorsese Movie Ranked. Will Leach is a novelist and contributing editor at New York Mag. Hi, Will. Hello. Thank you for having me and Tim. And Tim Gerson is senior U.S. critic for Screen International and the author of the book, Martin Scorsese in 10 Scenes. And together, they host the film podcast, Gerson and Leach. Hi, Tim. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Listeners, join in. What's your favorite Scorsese movie? The Last Waltz, Cape Fear, The Departed. If you've seen Killers of the Flower Moon, where would you rank it? 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. You can call in and join us on air, or you can text us at that number, 212-433-WNYC. And our socials are available at all of it, WNYC. So let's give a little background, Will. Martin Scorsese, born in Flushing in 1942, grew up in Little Italy, went to school in the Bronx. So many of his films are set in New York, especially the famous ones, Goodfella, Taxi Driver. What is interesting to you about the way he depicts New York in his films? 
you know, it's always so personal, I think, for Scorsese. It's funny, like, he's made so, he gets this, like, I think, pretty unfair rap as only making movies about gangsters or about crime or so on. Mm-hmm. The breadth of the movie, of the topics that he's he's made movies about are pretty dramatic, but I don't think there's any question that there is something about New York and where he grew up, where he grew up and the people he grew up around that in, that has really kind of informed his work, even if he ends up making a movie that's not about New York. You know, a lot of movies are about, you know, like young men, are about crime, are about guilt, about Catholicism, a lot of the things that he saw about family, uh, things that, that really kind of were dramatic parts of him. Even if he's making a movie about uh, uh, like Kundun, which is uh, is pretty far from New York, uh, fair to say, uh, still is, in, in, I think, really infused with a lot of uh, his passions that uh, you see probably most acutely in his New York films. Tim, another part of the mythology of Scorsese is he nearly became a priest instead of a filmmaker and religion, a major theme throughout his filmography. What are some of the themes that show up in Scorsese? Scorsese's work, religious themes? Uh, well, I mean, yes, he, he almost, it's amazing to think in a parallel world, Scorsese was a priest. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting because being Catholic myself, mm-hmm. you know, Catholic guilt is definitely something that has been an outline throughout his filmography. His characters, as we've mentioned, sometimes are bad people. They are gangsters. Uh, sometimes they deal with guilt, but often there is a spiritual sort of searching sometimes that's spiritual in terms of actually a religious sort of thing but whether it's silence or last temptation of christ or even something like say taxi driver or bringing out the dead he often has characters main characters who are seeking something and they're trying to find some sort of elevation of their spirit often they go about it the wrong way Mm -hmm. but they're often trying to find something I think for a lot of people who are religious, that's what they find mm-hmm. uh, in God. His characters, whether they're religious or not, are looking for something that's going to elevate them. Um, I think what's interesting about his more kind of recent work is that you still see this. You still see this idea of whether it's making a lot of money or, in the case of Killers of the Flower Moon, sort of systematically oppressing a different another people to get their oil. There's this idea of nothing is ever enough. They need more and more and more. And what they find over and over again is that it's never enough. They're never going to find that thing that sort of fills the hole inside themselves. The two of you have a lot of movie ranking experience. You, Some of your bylines from this year, every Leonardo DiCaprio movie ranked, every Stephen King movie ranked, every Denzel Washington movie ranked. Will, what are the unique challenges of ranking Martin Scorsese's films? Well, one thing that's actually easier about doing, doing, doing Scorsese movies, we've definitely seen all of them before we sit down to write them. <laughs> Scorsese movies, every Scorsese a big event. Sometimes we'll get a, we'll get an actor, we'll be like, "Wow, okay, is that is that even available anymore?" <laughs> like with Scorsese, all these movies are 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 really essentials. And the hardest part, really, with Scorsese, you know, there are no real duds in this Scorsese uh, kind of oeuvre. You know, mm-hmm. that, they, even his worst movies or movies that are not successful. Uh, he, he's really kind of had one real major flop, which was. Uh, New York, New York, a musical he made with Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli. It was like his fifth film. And even that is interesting. It has like a lot of interesting things to it. It doesn't really always work, but you can definitely tell it's Scorsese's. And to me, that's what's so interesting about this. Other than maybe The Color of Money, which he made with Paul Newman and Tom Cruise, which is a, which was a sequel that was kind of like almost a way to kind of get a hit uh, for him. He really doesn't do projects that are overtly commercial or like for the studios. Scorsese is really one of the few filmmakers in particular 
particularly now in an age where uh, the the movie business has changed so much. He's one of the few filmmakers who really can make a movie that's uniquely and specifically his. Uh, and his stamp, stamp is on all of them. So that's what's so fascinating. He's made 30 movies. And while they are so different and about so many different topics, that through line is there for all of them. And so it's hard to be like, it's very hard to like, as Martin Corsese made 30 movies, it's hard to be like, oh, this one's the 24th best. That one is also really good. <laughs> like, Martin Corsese is really good at making movies, so it's hard to make anything be one of his worst movies, because they're almost all pretty good. All right, Tim, so you guys went with 30. Rolling Stone goes with 32 films. IndieWire says 27. <laughs> Variety had a list of 26 this year. What's with the discrepancy? Um, it depends on certain documentaries um, that you pick. We did not include Italian American and a couple of other sort of early films that he made. They're also great, but in terms of our criteria, when you ask the question, Allison, about the challenge, one of the challenges is making sure your intro lays out the ground rules uh, <laughs> of these things. Because uh, some friends of mine for Inside Hook uh, did everything that Martin Scorsese has ever done, including commercials and stuff like that. And that's actually kind of part of the fun is that there's so many things that he has worked on. We didn't focus as much on as many of the documentaries that he did, like his George Harrison documentary. He's done a ton in that world as well. We focused mostly on the features and the documentaries that we felt were the most um, high profile, which mm -hmm. were the concert films. We talked about Shine a Light the Rolling Stones concert film. We did The Last Waltz, um, which is one of the great concert films. Um, so that was where we made our sort of line in the sand in terms of uh, in terms of deciding it, in terms of other things that are challenging in terms of a Scorsese list. Like Will said, he's made so many good movies. The other challenge, though, is that you cannot get any two people, including me and my longtime buddy Will, to agree <laughs> on what his absolute best are. And I would argue... That's part of the fun. I think anybody who looks at one of these lists and says, I can't believe this is number three as opposed to being number one, you kind of can't lose, I would argue, with his top five. Any movie that we put in our top five could be someone else's number one, and you are probably right. It's such a hair's breadth between each mm -hmm. of those movies that it's almost like asking a person, what's your favorite type of Scorsese movie or era of Scorsese movie. For a long time, people thought Raging Bull or Taxi Driver were his best movies. That's changed over time. And it's changed on our list. Where we actually have Goodfellas as number one. I think that people are now starting to think that maybe Goodfellas is his best movie. But there's debate about that. And that's part of the fun of making a list. And that's why we stuck to 30, because any more than that, it would just cause more of us to pull our hair out and more people to be <laughs> mad at us. We've got a text that says, King of Comedy. Exclamation mm -hmm. point. After hours! Exclamation point. <laughs> and we actually have a call with an interesting question before we dive into your list. Bill is calling in from New York. Hi, Bill. You're on the air. Hey, hi. How are you? Doing great. What's your question? So, my question is, uh, is something I've always wondered about. In many of um, Scorsese's movies, there's a voiceover or you know, a narrator. And I'm just wondering, he does this so often... What does that say about um, his style of movie making, his skill as a movie maker, or lack of it, or why does he actually do it? So Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I have some thoughts about that. Um, you know, I went to uh, film school, and I was in a writing program, and one of the things they used to teach us back then was if a movie uses voiceover narration, the scriptwriter isn't doing a very good job, and... Uh, 
respectfully to that teacher from 30 years ago, uh, they were wrong. Mm -hmm. um, because I think one of the things that Scorsese has done very well is show that you can tell a great story with voiceover narration. A movie like Casino has several different people doing voiceover narration, providing their own perspective on the story that's being told. A movie like The Irishman that uses some voiceover as well, it's an unreliable narrator. You don't exactly know the Robert De Niro character if he's telling you his perspective on things, which may be different than the truth. And so you have to question who is telling you their story in his movies. A lot of, like I would say, maybe uh, old-fashioned screenwriters really don't like the style that Scorsese does in his movies. But I am a big fan. I really love it. Obviously, it's a thing that he returns to again and again. He likes his characters to talk directly to the audience, I think, in some ways, to make us think mm -hmm. that we know these people. But in fact, we do not know these people. Often they're terrible people who are trying to <laughs> level with us in terms of the stories about themselves they want to tell. This text says, Killers ranks in my top Scorsese 10. To me, it's at the same level as The Departed and Cape Fear and above Gangs and Irishmen, but below Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street. Thank you for that text. That is somebody who knows their Scorsese. Let's talk, get into the list, Will. His most recent films make it into the top 10, The Irishman at 10, and Killers of the Flower Moon lands at number seven. What kind of gut check did you all do to make sure this wasn't recency bias? Yeah, one of the remarkable things about both of those movies, you know, after The Irishman, you heard a bunch of people say, well, well, you know, obviously we don't want to be morbid, but he's getting older. So if this is his last movie, what an incredible statement to make. And I found the people people saying the exact same thing about Killers mm -hmm. of the Flower Moon, and perhaps they'll say the same thing about his next movie. I think that, you know, he's reached the level in his career where... You know, he talks about this in interviews a lot about how he doesn't know how many movies he has left. And and so there's something particularly exciting about these new movies because not obviously they're long, and that's been, I think, kind of the, the facile kind of way to look at them. But what they really are in a lot of ways, they feel like a filmmaker who is trying to say everything that he wants to say now. And he says it in the and like the energy level. We talk about being 81 next week. You watch these films, they do not feel like they are made by an older man. There is energy and vigor and and th narrative thrust to them and excitement there's just there's so much like a lot of times you'll see filmmakers and they slow down at the end of their career they mm. do these kind of more ponderous things both the irishman and killers of the flower moon are highly energetic highly entertaining movies while still being very contemplative and still being kind of not only remarking about the uh, about scorsese's career but really remarking about kind of the world as it is now i think there's a, a i don't think it's coincidence that his last two movies have kind of focused in a lot of ways on bad people who believe they can just get away with being bad without recourse. And I think there's, I think mm -hmm. that's probably not a coincidence as well. America as a concept has always been something that Scorsese's focused on his movies. So if you look at these last two movies, while they are certainly uh, uh, recent and therefore fresher in the mind, they're Scorsese, they're almost sometimes in conversation with some of Scorsese's old movies that he's kind of having that conversation. He, The mm -hmm. Irishman in particular is a kind of a, sometimes a reflection on some of his old gangster movies in a way that's fascinating. So I think that I do feel pretty comfortable that these these numbers are going to hold up. These things are they feel like they feel instantly like some movies like King of Comedy. We talked about that earlier when that came out. People didn't really love that movie. Right. It's aged into something really great. These movies feel like big statements from the beginning. And I think they've been kind of received as such. I do want to bring up something that's been floating around the Internet, a clip of the Osage language consultant from Killers of a Flower Moon. Um, which has been popular online. And he says the movie has a flaw. Um, this comes from a red carpet interview. Let's take a listen. 
Martin Scorsese not being Osage, I think he did a great job representing our people. But this story is being told, this history is being told almost from, from the perspective of um, Ernest Burkhart. And they kind of give him this conscience and they kind of depict that there's love. But when somebody conspires to murder your entire family, uh, that's not love. That's not love. So Scorsese's made films in Japan, Japan, other parts of America. This is obviously Osage Nation. Tim, what are his strengths and what are his limitations when it comes to engaging with cultures outside of his own? Well, I mean, I think to speak to that uh, that clip, which I've, I've seen before, I, I have a lot of respect for that comment, and I understand. Mm-hmm. I would say respectfully in response, I, I think that the movie is more complicated than he's giving it credit for in terms of the portrayal of Ernest, because yes, to Ernest's mind, that's the character played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who mm-hmm. marry Lily Gladstone. He marries Lily Gladstone's character and helps to destroy her family. He thinks that he loved the Lily Gladstone character. He thinks he feels bad about what's happening to them. They think mm-hmm. what is great about Killers of the Flower Moon, among other things, is that the movie is very clear-eyed about the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio character uh, is not, in fact, very smart and doesn't have much of a moral compass at all. So he may think these things, but to the gentleman's point, the movie knows that that is not true. And I think that that is the that is the criticism of that character and of the white characters. Also, in reflection of his comment, I would say I think there is a beautiful movie to be made from the perspective of the Osage uh, a tribe, mm-hmm. but that's a different movie than Scorsese is making. I give Scorsese a lot of uh, respect because I think that he understands the right perspective from his perspective to tell that story. Now, in terms of other things like we've mentioned, you're well mentioned in Kundun, mm-hmm. Silence is set in Japan. Um, and those movies are also really interesting, I think, because they do show a filmmaker who has a respect and understanding, not that it's not his story to tell, but that he is coming from it as an outsider. And there is an outsider's, I would say, respect, almost kind of reverence and understanding that he does not fully understand the story that he is telling. I think there's room in his movies to acknowledge that. There are there are going to be good movies, great movies, made about this story from Killers of the Flower Moon, but Scorsese can't tell those stories. Right. That's up to other filmmakers to tell those stories. But I'm glad I am glad because that, that clip that you, you played Allison has gotten a lot of attention. And I think it it has created a lot of conversation around what is Scorsese's intention mm-hmm. in terms of making this film? I think it strengthens the overall impact of the movie, this conversation. My guests are Tim Gerson and Will Leach. We're talking about their piece, ranking every Martin Scorsese movie. Number five is Mean Streets, Will. Came out in 73, just re-released for its 50th anniversary. Harvey Keitel is in this one. And when you think about the actors that Scorsese works with again and again, Cartel, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Leonardo DiCaprio, what is special about his relationship with these actors across his filmography. 
Yeah, there's something wonderful. Uh, I think uh, Scorsese has an Instagram account, and he and he posted a picture of him and Robert De Niro on the set of Killers mm-hmm. of the Flower Moon, and it's just the most charming. It's like no, movie number ten, <laughs> and, and it's really incredible to have watched them throughout the years. It means you know, it's funny because you know now Scorsese is like this revered older figure and this keeper of the flame of cinema, but in 1973, like he was a punk kid. <laughs> he was a punk kid coming out, and and him and De Niro, they were you know they they'd come from this whole different school of filmmaking making and this whole different school of acting and kind of came in and kind of bum rushed the scene. And I think that familiarity, it's been one of the things that's been so fun to watch De Niro specifically, though you, you Kaitel is correct. And as well, there's, listen, there's a lot of actors. I think it was, it, there's a lot of actors that have worked with him for a really long time, including DiCaprio, which is now his seventh movie uh, with Scorsese. One of the things that's fun, that's so incredible to watch is you see the actors and, and the director kind of evolving and growing and maturing themselves. Like Meaning Street, it, Streets is a great film. It's number five on our list, but it definitely feels rawer than like some mm-hmm. of the later Scorsese films. It feels like it's rushing through the gates and, and it's just incredibly powerful. It's, it's reflective and it's very intelligent, but it also has a young man's fer- uh, fervor and vigor in a way that like is different than say the Irishman, for example. And so to be, and, and so it becomes one of the things that's really fun about doing a list like this. Cause you, we watch a lot of these movies and mm-hmm. you start to realize how you see the subtle little ways that Scorsese tries this in his next film or, or 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 talks back to something he did in the previous film mm-hmm. in this film a lot of times that's done through the actors DiCaprio is a particularly fascinating person because I would argue the worst performance that Leonardo DiCaprio has given uh in a March Scorsese movie is the first one in Gangs of New York huh. where he almost gets kind of like blown off the stage mm-hmm. by Daniel Day-Lewis and so and Cameron Diaz is fine in that too but DiCaprio feels almost a little callow maybe a little young like he was like just brought into a Scorsese movie to help the budget at the time after I watched Gangs of New York I definitely did not think that for the first time I did not think oh Scorsese and DiCaprio are going to be working together forever <laughs> but I think that that speaks to Scorsese recognizing the talent of a guy of a guy like of, Di- of DiCaprio and recognizing that he can grow with him as well the DiCaprio that you see in this film is so different mm-hmm. than the DiCaprio that you see in Gangs in New York. And I think that speaks to a filmmaker getting comfortable with his actor and vice versa. Someone has texted in The Age of Innocence is his best work and often overlooked. I do want to get through to number one. So number five, we said, was Mean Streets. Number four, The King of Comedy. Number three, Raging Bull on your list. Number two, Taxi Driver. And number one was Goodfellas. Gotta play a clip. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the f*** am I funny? What the f*** is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. What's funny and what's good about it? And you got one minute, Tim. Um, It is, I would argue, his most rewatchable movie. Mm-hmm. And it is so incredibly entertaining, so fast-paced. And yeah, I think any smart person watches a movie and understands that you are sucked into a story about people who seem really seductive, but they're monsters. They're monsters. They're horrible people. And you are tricked along the way thinking, what a great ride. You learn at the end, it's not a great ride at all. Wish we had a little more time, but I'm going to read two comments because I think it's worth saying out loud. This one says, Sigh, great filmmaker. Yes, pretty awful female characters. And someone else want to know why he's never done a film around African-Americans, or has he? He hasn't, but I would say that, again, I don't know if that is a perspective that maybe he understands. I would say Age of Innocence and Casino argue against the fact of not good female characters. And I would also say Killers of the Flower Moon, fantastic lead performance 
by Lily Gladstone in that movie. My guests have been Will Leach and Tim Grierson talking about Martin Scorsese's films. Thanks so much, you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know wherever you get your podcasts.